0: So there's going to be a huge opportunity to run here in New Hampshire, garner all that momentum, all that free media, all that press, come out of the first in the nation primary with a win, and really with that
1: political momentum, blow right through South Carolina where they won't even hold a primary, right? And so now Biden will be in, in, you know, in trouble.
0: Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, Managing Editor of nhjournal.com. I trust that you have subscribed to our free newsletter at nhjournal.com. If that's why you're listening to this podcast, if you haven't, if you haven't, just go to the website. You can subscribe right there, upper right-hand corner. You can also donate and help us keep the lights on and do what I really love, sign up for a $4.99 a month subscription. What do you get? Nothing. We're going to send you the email anyway, but you can do your part. Because that's how this all stays together. And thank you for supporting independent journalism in New Hampshire. There is not a lot of it. So to the fun. Last time we spoke, it was all about the balloon. And my thanks again to former congressman and CIA agent Will Hurd, who came out of the cone of silence long enough to talk. He may be running for president. And so he's poking around New Hampshire. So the Chinese balloon is gone. And now the trial balloons are everywhere. And I have one favorite Trial Balloon. Before we get to our conversation with someone who may be launching a trial balloon of his own, Vivek Ramaswamy is, if you watch uh, Fox News and you've seen the guy with the book Woke Inc., super smart, super cool. He's on with us in just a few moments here on the podcast. Terrific conversation. I learned so much. That's coming up. So that's one trial balloon. Then there's the Sununu potential trial balloon, which we'll get to in a second. Obviously, I I think we can say Nikki Haley, my former governor of South Carolina, no longer a trial balloon. She's going to make a big announcement next Wednesday. She'll be in New Hampshire on Thursday and Friday. We'll be covering it at nhjournal.com. But my favorite trial balloon, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes. So here's the story. A couple weeks ago, we had a report, no one else covered it, that uh, Robert Kennedy's son, RFK Jr., best known for being a crazed environmentalist and wacky anti-vax conspiracy kook theory guy, uh, jumped into the fight for the New Hampshire First in the Nation primary, like out of nowhere. It's not like RFK Jr. lives here or anything, you know, where did that come from? And we had fun with it, pointing out that while he might, in fact, be a science challenge loony, RFK Jr. did as much to save the first of the nation primary as Senator Shaheen, Senator Hassan, Ray Buckley. He wrote a letter. That's all. They wrote a letter, he wrote a letter. No one was willing to do anything, and shockingly, the DNC stripped the Democrats of their primary, which is what you get, by the way, Chairman Buckley, when you announce right up front, we're not going to do anything. Whatever we do, we're not going to do anything. So... Robert F. Kennedy, he can do nothing as well as the next guy. So he got out his Hans Blix pen and he, you know, wrote a sternly worded letter to the DNC. And I thought nothing of it because I'm like, what the heck? You know, it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Then came the news Thursday morning on the Facebook page of radio host Jack Heath. And then from the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque himself, that RFK Jr. is coming to New Hampshire March 3rd to speak. At the NHIOP. It's not a politics and eggs event. In fact, uh, reached out specifically to the New England Council who co-hosts those events. They are not involved. This is just an NHIOP event. But Levesque was pointed out in his announcement that it is the place where people come to launch their presidential campaigns and NHIOP certainly is. So now you've got two pieces. First, he jumps in to let the Democrats of New Hampshire know I'm with you on the first of the nation primary. Then he announces I'm going to come up to New Hampshire March 3rd and give a speech at not once again at uh, you know uh, Dartmouth or at a rally for the environmentalists or the reopen New Hampshire crowd. He's going to be at the place where they hold politics, and he's going to go to the place where so many political moments have been held. Huh. And that's why this to me is the balloon launch fascination of the week. Because here's how it looks right now. The likely date of the First Nation primary is January 23rd. It's the Tuesday that's more than seven days away from the weird South Carolina, once again, where I'm from. The only primary that we did on Saturday was the presidential primary. I don't know. I, ask somebody else. Actually, you know, I, I do know why. It was supposed to be the Saturday before the Super Tuesday. That was kind of the gateway to Super Tuesday. So, so anyway, so they're going to have a Tuesday primary. And South Carolina is going to go on the calendar first. But of course, New Hampshire is going to actually have its primary first. And so that's probably January 23rd, but that's not written in stone. And one of the punishments... That the Rules and Bylaws Committee has announced that they are considering for anyone who participates in an unsanctioned primary, like New Hampshire's is going to be for the Democrats, the Republicans is all good, is you as a candidate will be punished if you campaign in, in the unsanctioned primary. And one of the sanctions is based on if you allow your name to appear on the ballot, that's in the conversations that they had in the Rules of Bylaws Committee over and over again, it's you can't get away with saying, hey, I, I haven't even been to New Hampshire. It's just my enthusiastic people. They got me on the ballot. No, no, no. If your name's on the ballot, you're campaigning and you face sanctions, including possibly being denied a spot in one or all of the debates. Plus, there's the fact that Joe Biden, Biden specifically crafted the let's take the primary away from New Hampshire, which means that as it looks right now, it is all but certain Joe Biden's name will not be on the ballot. Now, that's not a huge problem for Chairman Buckley and the Democrats. If you're talking about someone like Marianne Williamson or the example uh, Buckley gave uh, in his uh, pleading to the DNC was some guy in Oklahoma pays the $1,500 that costs to get on the ballot and, you know, enough people wander in to vote, whatever, you know, handful of them vote for him. And all of a sudden, boom, With he gets, you know, 1,700 votes and he gets the delegates from New Hampshire because nobody else, like Joe Biden, was on the ballot. Well, let me tell you something about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He ain't no Marion Williamson. What happens if he... Pulls the trigger and says, "I'm going to be here, and I love the First Nation primary, so I'm going to do my part to keep it alive." And and I've got to fight against Joe Biden, and we've got to have a real environmentalist and anti vax whatever, and his little army of anti-vaxxers and Kennedy leftovers and whatever else the heck has. Suddenly, could could he get ten thousand votes, twenty thousand votes? I mean, is he going to have some money? He's a Kennedy. He's already a celebrity. He's got 800-ish thousand followers on Twitter. You know, you can protect yourself as the Democratic Party from someone embarrassing Biden by winning the early unsanctioned primary if, there's, if they're not a big name. You can get enough write-ins. You can get your you know, city captains in your organization, and you can put people in to write in Joe Biden so Joe Biden wins and he never puts his name on the ballot, and we all go home. That's great. But when you start getting the names like Kennedy and the other one that's being discussed, Julian Castro, remember he ran in 2020 and kicked Biden right in the shins for being so old he couldn't remember what he'd said during the debate. He's been blasting away about uh, uh, the you know having Biden be the nominee of this diverse party and this you know 80 something year old guy of this party of youth and dynamism. Now he also said the New Hampshire primary is racist and the voters here can't shouldn't go first because. They're all white. So I don't know. Maybe that stops him. My point is RFK Jr. cannot be dismissed as so what if he runs for president. I'm not saying he's going to be the candidate for president. I'm saying he can make New Hampshire a problem for Democrats. And so the news that it was announced Thursday that he's coming here, NHIOP, it is worth taking a look at. Something else is worth taking a look at is over at nhjournal.com. Uh, we did a survey of our subscribers only asking them for their insights as people who follow politics every day. What do they think of the idea of Chris Sununu running for president? What do they think that will mean for the first nation primary itself? Some people say, Oh my gosh, if he runs, you know, it's going to hurt the primary. And we also gave them the list of 12, 15 or so people that, uh, are likely to run or could run or are named as running on the Republican side. And of course, as the names you expect, the announced candidate, Donald Trump, uh, Nikki Haley, Governor Ron DeSantis, Chris Sununu, et cetera. And the results were absolutely fascinating. And I would tell them to you, except we've got this great interview I've got to get to. So you can go to nhjournal.com and find that story. If you get the newsletter, you've got the story right in front of you. If you don't, why aren't you getting the newsletter? nhjournal.com. You can subscribe right there. It's absolutely free. Unless you're a good person, good people voluntarily chip in $4.99 a month to help us out. And now, Vivek Ramaswamy, Woke Inc. and possible White House run. He's a best-selling author. You've seen him on Fox News, and he's in New Hampshire for a listening tour. Hmm. Who would be in a listening tour in New Hampshire except for someone who's selling hearing aids? It's Vivek Ramaswamy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast.
1: Good to be on. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. And we're going to talk a little bit about politics. And is it true you could be running and not running, whatever? But let's get to an issue right away because New Hampshire's own attorney general has jumped into this issue. It's the ESG debate. He's joined a group of other uh, New Hampshire, excuse me, another uh, attorneys general around the country for a lawsuit to fight against a new rule from the Biden administration. The rule says, hey, remember we told you if you're investing retirees money, you have to try to maximize the outcome, the return. Well, now you can consider non-pecuniary issues like ESG. Vivek, this seems like a disaster to me for an aging America where people are going to need their retirement
1: savings. What the heck? You're spot on right about that. And it has been a core focus of mine for the last three years. ESG basically refers to the use of these environmental and social factors to not only invest your money, but more importantly, to use your money to vote your shares in corporate America to dictate corporate behavior. So most people might wonder why are Nike or Coca-Cola or Disney behaving in these politicized ways? Answer, it's your own money, your own 401k accounts that are being used to make these companies behave that way. Because the likes of BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, these ESG promoting asset managers, and by the way, just those three manage about as much capital as the US GDP, about $20 trillion, probably of most money, including those of those listening to this program, to force these companies to adopt one-sided political agendas. That is not the way capitalism is supposed to work. That is not why most people invest their money in the market, but they don't know it because it was designed to be non-transparent. So As I've argued in the pages of the Wall Street Journal or elsewhere, if you want to use your own money to tell a company to adopt an environmental or a social or a cultural agenda, it is a free country. Feel free to do it. But if you're going to use somebody else's money to do it, you better darn well get their permission and their consent. And you know what? Part of this recent Biden rule change was about actually making sure they could do it even without getting your consent. And you want to know why? They even said why. They explained it. When they put the final rule out, they didn't want to require getting people's consent, because if you ask most people, they will say, (laughs) hell no. But the reality is that they want to hide it from you so that they're able to use your money anyway. So to me, this is a third rail issue. It's why I started Strive, a company that I founded last year Mm -hmm. that's competing with BlackRock. It's part of why I wrote Woke Inc. But the good news is knowledge can be a source of empowerment that once you know this, you're empowered to actually take it on.
0: And people should know that Woke Inc. specifically addresses these issues and how these ideologies that are related to politics and and visions of society have worked their way into corporate boardrooms where they just don't belong if your goal, once again, is to help people prosper. And by the way, talking about people not wanting it, uh, New Hampshire Journal and our parent company, Inside Sources, have repeatedly polled people. How much more per month are you willing to spend on your utility bill in order to fight climate change? And inevitably the number one answer, 40 to 45% is none, not a penny. And then mm-hmm. five, five bucks a month. And then the the number of people who are willing to spend real money is eight, 10, 12%. Most of them living on the coasts, So affluent that their electric bill just doesn't matter. So you're right. That's when you ask people, do you want the money or do you want the politics? They say, show me the money. Um, but one of the problems we have having this debate, as you know, uh, Vivek is that there are a lot of people uncomfortable complaining about ESG because they're going to get called racist bigots, you know, they're not fair, mm-hmm. they're not good people. And it feels a lot of times like the notion that you can speak freely is under uh is is under fire.
1: Especially in is. your generation,
0: but in, particularly in your generation, you're 37 years old. You're younger than the youngest governor I just found out watching the response to Biden's speech. Does your generation still believe in the First Amendment? And can the First Amendment survive social media?
1: So here's one of the things about my generation you need to understand. Okay, my generation and younger, we are hungry for a cause. We're hungry for purpose and meaning and identity. At a moment in our national history, when the things that used to fill that purpose, that void of purpose, things like faith, patriotism, hard work, family, these things have disappeared. And so When you have a vacuum of identity that runs that deep, that is when poison begins to fill the void, be it wokeism, climatism, covidism, transgenderism, you name it. Each of these is a symptom of that deeper cultural void. Now, I personally think there's an opportunity for the conservative movement, for the American movement to fill that void with the vision of American national identity that runs deep. And I think my generation is actually hungry for it. And one of the cornerstones of that American national identity is this idea of free speech, the idea that you are free to speak your mind as long as you give me the same courtesy in return. And I think we got to go one step further to bring that idea into the year 2023, to say that we're also not a country that forces you to choose between speaking your mind freely and putting food on the dinner table, right, between the First Amendment and the American dream. We're the quintessential nation on earth that allows you to enjoy both of those things at the same time. That, too, is part of what it means to be American. So, so that this is, too where, is a new American dream.
0: Okay, so this is where, and I can drag you into politics since you're on a listening tour of New Hampshire. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis says that, Big tech and the power of big tech is so pervasive. It is endangering people's jobs. It's getting them not just canceled from social media, but th- that canceling results in firings or they're afraid to speak out at work. They're leaving their primary American liberties at home because of the power of big tech. And he wants to use the state, actual the state, not in the grand sense, but literally the state of Florida, its power to fight back. And a lot of people in the Republican Party agree we can't. Just, you know, say it's a level playing field. It's not a level playing field. We need to use the power of the people to fight the power of big tech. Governor Chris Sununu, who also may be a 2024 Republican candidate, says, no, we are the party of small government. It is not you do not want politicians telling private businesses how to run their business. If you were on the debate stage, perhaps in New Hampshire, perhaps a debate hosted by New Hampshire Journal, and you were asked about this, where on this on this debate would you
1: fall? I would say DeSantis is right, but he needs to be more precise, okay? I don't call it big tech censorship. It's not a big is bad problem. It's not big tech censorship. It is government tech censorship because actually what's going on here is that the government today is using private companies to do through the back door what government could not itself do through the front door under the constitution that is to censor political speech. Government is pressuring private companies to take down political speech that they disfavor. Government is using inducements like Section 230, carrots and sticks both to get private companies to do the government's own dirty work. And so I think Ron DeSantis' heart is in the right place. I think Chris Chris Sununu's heart is resting back in 1980. It's like Dorothy might have said to Toto in The Wizard of Oz, we're not in 1980 anymore. That's what I would tell (laughs) Governor Sununu. But for Ron DeSantis, I'd say, great, your heart's in the right place. And I'm really grateful he's read Woke Inc. And I think he's channeling a lot of those ideas, which is the best form of compliment. And I take it as such but we need to be really precise about the essence of what's going on. It's not just a general lazy armchair, big is bad Mm. complaint of conservative culture. No, it is the fact that the government itself is deputizing private companies to do its dirty work. And that is a constitutional failure. As I often explain it, if it is state action in disguise, then the constitution still applies. That is why these companies actually have to be bound by the first amendment if they're actually coordinating with the government and protected by the government, as they do the government's dirty work of censorship. And, so, and I got to tell you, this is different than, you know, a social security reformer the kinds of stuff that Republicans and Democrats used to debate back in the two thousands. This is complicated stuff. It requires precision. And I, I got to tell you, I wish, I wish it was the kind of thing where it could just cleanly hand over my books and, you know, scholarship and whatever, and hope that candidates do what candidates do to serve as a mouthpiece for it. These concepts go to the heart of American identity, and that's why I think that it may require the messenger – the message and the messenger to be one and the same, but that's a discussion for another day.
0: Well, but that's one of the things that you talk about is as people look at politics, they're looking for the right – Person, this is a personality fight, and I think that's certainly been the case in the era of rock star politicians like Barack Obama and Donald Trump. I would say that Joe Biden was a significant breakaway from the rock star tradition. Uh, I would say that. Yeah, but is that what you? I mean, do you do you believe that it takes someone like you, with your business and tech background, to uh, lead? from, say, a certain white building at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in order to address these issues?
1: So here's where I, here's what I don't believe. I don't believe that just because I or anybody else has successfully run businesses, and yes, I have lived the American dream, I've built multi-billion dollar companies from scratch, my parents came to this country with not a lot of money, and I lived the full arc of the American dream, oversaw the development of drugs, five of them are FDA approved, great, all that, everybody has their resume. I don't think that qualifies me or anybody else to run the country, Okay. However, I do have a vision for our country. It is a vision that, it's not somebody else's vision that I'm going around and talking about. It is a vision I've developed over the last three years, written three books in the last right. year and a half. Two of them are published. Third one's coming out this spring. I've traveled the country. I believe we live in a moment where my generation and younger does not have the answer to the question of what it means to be an American in the year 2023. I believe that the most important thing a leader can do today is deliver an answer to that question with conviction, reviving the basic rules of the road in this country, okay? The fact that we believe in meritocracy, the idea that you get ahead in America, not on the color of your skin, but as Dr. King said, on the content of your character. That as we talked about earlier, you can speak your mind freely as long as your neighbor gets the same courtesy in return. That the people we elect to run the government how about this one? Are the people who actually run uh, the government. You, you do realize that
0: there are hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C. working in very tall buildings who think
1: that you're completely crazy when you say that. Don't you understand that? I know they think that. And actually, think about what it means when those people view the elected officials in this country, who the people of this country take so much trouble to go through the ceremonious process we call an election. Right. They view them. The permanent state views those elected officials as an in- convenience as a nuisance right. because they're the ones actually running the show the permanent but, state. but listen i
0: can hear people shouting you. but i can hear people shouting have you seen the people in congress do you really want those people running things oh my do we do we really well, want what? the government of
1: aoc and marjorie taylor green really is that what we want that's for the people of this country to decide okay we are a government of the people for the people by the people in right. 1776 we rejected that old world european view and in fairness okay in fairness For most of human history, it was done the other way, where we decided that citizens could not be trusted to govern themselves. These had to be decisions made in the back of palace halls with business leaders and church leaders getting together in a smoke-filled room and deciding what's right for the rest of the society at large. That's how it's been done for most of human history. But America was born on a radical idea nearly 250 years ago in this country, in places not too far away from where I'm speaking to you right now in New Mm -hmm. Hampshire, where we decided that we're going to do things differently that the citizens of this country settle those questions through free speech and open debate in the public square where everyone's voice and vote counts equally. Okay, that is the American idea. It's not a moderate idea, it is an extreme idea. And I think that if we're gonna achieve national unity in America, it's not gonna be through someone showing up in the proverbial middle, whatever that means, and say, can't we all hold hands kumbaya and compromise? No, (laughs) it is going to happen if and only if we embrace dare I say, the extremism of those American ideas, the extremism of the ideas that underlie the American Revolution that set this experiment into motion in 1776. And the funny part about it is, I still think that most Americans believe in those basic rules of the road. I even think that most Americans think that their neighbors and their colleagues believe in those same rules of the road, though they can't be sure anymore because we're not allowed to talk about it. So if I have at least one mission, I have many missions, but if I have one mission that's more important than all the others, it is to break down those silos of discourse so that we can start talking openly again. And if we can do that, I have full confidence that our best days are still ahead of us, that we're not in some inevitable national decline, but it might just turn out we were just a little young, that we're going through our version of adolescence (laughs) and we still come out stronger on the other side of it.
0: As I remind people all the time, there's a reason why it was called a revolution. It was such an extreme mm-hmm. revolutionary idea. And so uh, keeping the revolution alive uh, is a tough one. Hey, for people who are interested in how your listening tour turns out, uh, where can they find out more about you, Vivek? Yeah, I've got a website
1: which has a little bit of information on my books up right now at vivekramaswami.com. You'd follow well, me. It's nice and easy.
0: That's, That'll be easy to spell. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah.
1: It's, it's just the usual way, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the old Vivek Ramaswamy for you. Uh, so first name is V I V E K. And the last name is R A M A S W A M Y. Vivek Ramaswamy. And then you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you know, the company I founded is, is, is strive asset management. It's something I've, I've been very proud of over the last year and very proud of what we're doing and moving the debate on ESG. Uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time these days traveling the country, but also on media, I'm just a big fan of believing that, you know, the best measure of the health of a democratic society is the percentage of people who feel free to say what they actually think in public. And the shame is when I was an elite biotech CEO, I wasn't really free to speak my mind as a citizen. Mm -hmm. And that's why I moved on to this other career to say that, you know what, the only way we're going to fix that is to start talking openly again. And the more of us that start doing it, the more likely I think our country is going to be saved at the end of this.
0: Thanks so much for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it, my man. Thanks
0: so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hampshire Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com, where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.